Welcome back to HGBB Online. My name's Abby and I'm part of the team here at HGBB. So over the past few months, we've done loads of different sermon series. We've done one on the wilderness, on the book of Judges, and we've just finished one called Designed. And today we're in the second part of our sermon series on the book of Esther. So if you missed last week, make sure to go to our YouTube channel and you can catch up there with all of our sermon series and our services. Last week, Miles introduced us to four main characters in the book of Esther. We started with Esther, obviously, and she is the queen. She has been picked because she is so beautiful by King Xerxes. King Xerxes is her husband, and he is a powerful but kind of fickle man. And he basically just loves to party and drink wine and hang out with beautiful women. Then we have Esther's cousin, Mordecai. And Mordecai basically raised Esther after her parents died. And he doesn't live in the palace, but he is always nearby and keeping an eye on her. And then we have the villain of our story, um, Haman. He is a man who is also very powerful. And where we ended our story last week is that Haman has just passed a law to legalize the annihilation of the Jewish people all because Mordecai didn't bow down to him. What I believe God wants to say to us today is this. How do we be people of influence? You know, we live in the age of the influencer. And if you're on social media, you probably follow them, whether they're YouTube stars or makeup artists or people teaching you how to pack your kid's lunchbox. An influencer is a person or a thing that influences. And that's what God is calling each of us to be in our culture for him, to be people who influence in kingdom values. But what does that even look like? What does that look like at college with your friends? And what does that look like in the workplace? What does that look like with your parents? And I think there are some things we can learn from Esther today. So we're going to pick up the story from chapter four. And what's been happening here at the start is that Mordecai has learned of the law that's just been passed. And so he goes into full-blown mourning. He's weeping, he's wailing, and he's outside the king's gate in sackcloth. And all the other Jewish people, they also find out about the law and they join him in wailing and fasting and wearing sackcloth. And then we read from verse four. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. And so she sent him clothes to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs attended to, um, attending to her, and ordered him to find out what's been troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict, that just means law, for the annihilation of, uh, of the Jews, which had been published in Susa, to show Esther and explain to her. And then he told him, to instruct her to go into the king's presence, to beg for mercy and to plead with him for the people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. And then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death. 
unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go see the king. Esther and Mordecai are having this really intense conversation about the potential genocide of the Jewish people. And they're having it through another person. This servant is going up to the palace to speak to Esther and they're going down to the village square to speak to Mordecai and back and forth and back and forth. And Mordecai's come to Esther and, and he said this, look, this law has been passed and it means we are all going to die. And here is the documentation to prove it, Esther. And there's only one thing that's going to save the people. That's you. Esther, you need to go to the king. You need to go to your husband and you need to beg him to change his mind. And Esther's response is like, uh, no. You don't just go and waltz into the king's presence and tell him to change his mind. Like, are you trying to get me killed, Mordecai? How does Mordecai respond? Verse 12. When Esther's words were reported back to Mordecai, he sent this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Firstly, if we want to be people of influence, we must trust there is purpose in our position. Verse 14 is arguably the most famous verse in the whole of the book of Esther. You've, you've maybe heard it being read before. It's, it's that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And so up until this point, in Esther's life, she's been quite passive. You know, she's had a lot of things happen to her. She was orphaned, she was trafficked, she was forced into a marriage. And so all of these things are kind of out of her control. And now she's this queen, which you would think is amazing and that she's made it. But actually the reality of that position is that she was bound up in laws and rules and expectations of how queens were supposed to conduct themselves. So. When Mordecai challenges her to do something, Esther responds with an excuse for why she can't. The thing is, if Esther doesn't take this opportunity, God will still be faithful to his people. That's what Mordecai says in verse 14. Even if you choose to stay silent and do absolutely nothing, Esther, God is still gonna deliver the people. He'll just raise up another person to do that. But maybe Esther, what if you've been brought to this point in your life, not just for access to the royal designer wardrobe, or not just for being able to go to all the banquets and parties at the palace, and not just so that you can be called the most beautiful woman in all of Persia. What if you've not been brought to this point in your life for all of those reasons the king thinks you have? Esther, what if you've been brought to this point in your life to, to work for justice, to oppose an evil man, to oppose this evil scheme? What if you've been brought to this point in your life, not just for yourself, but to be part of God's redeeming plan for the world? If Esther stays silent, God's still going to move. But she will have missed out on God's purpose for her position. 
I don't know what's led you to be in the job that you're doing at the moment or in the city that you're living in or the house that you're currently watching this in. But what we learn from this story is that today God has a purpose for you wherever you are. We read in Romans 8, 28, that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and that are called according to his purpose. So just like Esther, we have a part to play in God's plan to redeem the world. Verse 14, it, it might be the most famous verse in the book, but I often think that there's three words at the start of it that get completely overlooked. That verse starts with, and who knows? And who knows that you've been called to this position for such a time of this? And who knows what will happen when we step out in faith? And who knows what will happen if you say yes? We have some family friends back in Ireland and they were saying 10 years ago, someone came to their church um, and they were promoting child sponsorship programs. Um, and so as a family, they decided they wanted to take that step and to you know, give monthly support to a child in need. Um, and they ended up sponsoring this boy who was 12 years old and living in Albania. And then a couple of years later, the father of this family, um, he was made redundant. And so we began to just kind of um, help out with the charity. He would run fundraisers and information evenings. And then eventually he began to work for them. So he would end up traveling to Albania and working with these families who really needed life-sustaining basic needs. And when he was in Albania, he was able to meet the boy that they had been sponsoring since he was 12 years old. And so as a family, they would go out to Albania um, every few months actually um, across the years, they would meet up with the sponsor child and they built this really good relationship with the boy. This week, I find out that that boy who's not a boy anymore, he's like 22, um, he has been able to go to university in Albania and he's been able to study to get a degree for himself. It's incredible, like the, the influence that this family have had on his life. But it does not stop there. Over the years, as this family have been traveling out to Albania, their daughter also met the sponsor child. And fast forward a couple of years, they've been traveling back and forth to see each other. They have fallen in love and now they are going to get married and she is going to move to Albania. Who knows? where a simple act of sponsoring a child would lead to? Who knows where that conversation with your colleague will end up? Who knows can become the fuel that we need to live in faith approaching our everyday? Look for the who knows moments in your life because we serve a God who does know and who will bring purpose to our position. Secondly, to be a person of influence, you've got to start with who's around you. So how does Esther respond to this challenge from Mordecai? We read in verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather all the Jews in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king. And even though it's against the law, if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. 
in the course of this conversation, Esther has had this huge shift in her thinking. You know, she's moved from passive to active, from fear to faith, from um, hesitation to confidence, for concern for her own well-being to concern for her people's survival. And the result has been this ripple effect around her. First of all, we see that Esther instructs Mordecai to gather all the Jews in Susa. Not just like, oh, Mordecai, can you get some of your mates together? Or I'll just grab some Jews that I know in the palace and we'll have a prayer meeting. No, she gathers all the Jews in the region. She goes big. And when she gathers them together, instead of mourning and wailing and weeping um, over the law that's just been passed, which is what they're currently doing, she asks them to fast for her. In a time of crisis, she gathers together the community and she changes their perspective from despair to worship. And she gives them something to hope for. The second group of people that we see Esther influence are her attendants. So we read that she was cared for by eunuchs and female attendants in the palace. And well, I essentially like to think that these are her glam squad that help her get ready every day. Um, and in verse 16, she says that they too are going to fast. We don't even know if they were Jewish. These were potentially non-believing servants who are now going to participate in a spiritual fast. And who knows, but maybe they will meet with God and be changed. Esther lastly influences her cousin, Mordecai. We see that her faith has risen. We see that now she is willing to die for the Jewish people in order to try and save them. And instead of him telling her what to do, we see that he carries out all of her instructions in verse 17. You know, when we think about people of influence and we talk about this, I think the temptation is to wait. Wait till you're more successful. Wait till you're more powerful. Or we look at people like Esther and we're like, well, she's a queen. Of course she has influence. But all of this starts through one person, Mordecai. Mordecai didn't wait till he was in a position of power within the palace to be a person of influence. He just spoke to his cousin. So even though we live in this culture that's obsessed with power and follower counts and titles, it was through her cousin's influence that Esther was changed in this crisis. And she begins to use her position for purpose and influence the course of history. So don't wait until you have the blue tick on Instagram to influence those around you. Start with who's beside you. Thirdly, if we want to be people of influence, we must first allow the Spirit to influence us. So Esther begins this fast, three days, three nights, no food, no water, as she prepares to go before the king. And actually, this is kind of a risky decision because we know this is a king who values appearances. It was part of the Persian culture. He wants his wives to be flawless and be beautiful. And so instead of spending three days getting glammed up to go see the king, she spends three days fasting those things. And so spiritually, she's going to be full, but physically, she's going to look quite tired, a bit dehydrated, and not really the look that the king was used to. So what happens? What happens when she goes before the king? We're going to read in chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. And when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, 
he was pleased with her. And so he held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and she touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come to a banquet today that I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so we may do what Esther has asked. How did that happen? This is the king like three chapters ago, banished his own wife for rejecting him at a party. And now we see Esther waltzing into his presence, breaking all of these laws. And yet he reacts to her with favor. Last week at Alpha Online, uh, we were discussing the topic of prayer. And Alpha is kind of this incredible experience because we've actually never met each other. We just log on to Zoom, we watch the videos together, but each week we're having these great conversations around these really interesting topics. And we were looking at how and why should I pray? And one of our guests, he posed this question. He said, look, what do people think? Does prayer actually change the outcome of a situation? And it, it really made me think about this. It made me think about Esther because did her fasting for three days and three nights change the outcome of that meeting with the king? Like if she hadn't had fasted for three days and three nights, would the king have reacted differently? Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, he talks all about the different spiritual disciplines. And he says, you know, things like fasting and prayer and reading the Bible they allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. It's like if you want to grow a vegetable, like if a farmer wants to grow a vegetable like I know, pak choy or something, all he can do is provide the right growing conditions. So he might start with cultivating the ground. He might mix up the soil. He'll then scatter some seed, cover it over and water it. That's all he can do. He can't actually make the pak choy grow. He then has to leave it up to the earth to do its thing and hopefully the vegetable will begin to appear. Spiritual disciplines are our way of sowing into the spirit. They're God's way of getting us to work into the ground so that they put us in a place where God can transform and work within us. Spiritual disciplines don't change us but they can bring us to a place to be influenced by the Spirit. Esther has been transformed. She has been in this place where God has been working and the result is that now she's standing before the king. She is full of faith. She's got a plan and she's dressed in her royal robes. And in Hebrew, the word for royal robes is bat bash melchuk, which means that she clothed herself in kingship. She's literally clothed herself in the kingdom and finally taken a stand with God's holy people, embracing her identity. When we begin to see that where we are is where God has put us for such a time as this, we are able to stand in full confidence with authority, knowing that we are people of influence in his kingdom. Through Jesus, 
we are invited to put on the royal robes because we are sons and daughters of the King, because we are co-heirs with Christ. And it's from that place that we become people of influence for him. Amen. Why don't you stand? We're going to pray and then we're going to go into communion together. So let's pray first. Holy Spirit, we invite you here and we thank you for what you are saying to us and what you are doing in us. And we pray that you would come and fill us afresh today. We pray that you would remind each of us what you're doing in our lives, that you would remind us that you have a purpose for where we are today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 